It is, um, it's great to be here uh, with you. Uh, I love, you know, uh, we kind of go around and, and experience church in like different places, kind of all, all over the U.S. and the world. Uh, but there's just something about being in a church uh, in Boston, in New England. Uh, to, to be a believer here, you have to be a little bit unhinged. And so it just feels, it feels right and it feels correct to, uh, to be in this space. And in your church, in many ways, uh, I, I would just want to echo that. Our, our prayer has always been to see a move of God in the city, uh, not simply through our church, uh, but through a multitude of churches um, in, in the city. And so it's just a real honor. And, and I do, I do want to say, uh, I think that you have, I'm not going to say anything that you don't already know. So I think that you have two of the best teachers uh, in the city. And the, fir- the first time I heard about them, I'm in New York City talking with a guy who lives in uh, London, uh, a, f- a mutual friend named Tim. And he said, do you know the Adams Family that just moved? And I was like, the movie? No, I don't know them. Um, and uh, he said, they just moved to Boston. You've got to meet them. And he just said, they have a, a prophetic gift. And you've you got to meet them. And so it's been a real gift to, to meet uh, and to build a relationship with you all. And so we, we just honor you. Katie and I love being here and so grateful for your presence in the city. Uh, they could have, folks, I'll say this because they're not going to say it. Uh, they could have went anywhere in the world, um, but they came here in your city, in our city, uh, to serve alongside of you. And so I just honor you. I come alongside and honor you as well. And so um, it's, it's great to be here. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm on sermon number three uh, today. And so my voice, I'm typically, you know, napping right now. And so my voice is like, what's happening? Uh, what's going on? But I, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else than in this room right now in this moment. And so let's stand together as we read the word, just as a way to honor the word together, as a way to say we fall under the leadership of the word. This is going to be from Acts 17, uh, 16 through 21. I'll read it for us, and then we can uh, get started. Uh, This Acts 17, 16 through 21. If you have your Bible, you can turn there as well. Can we bring physical Bibles back? Do you know what I'm saying? Can we just like bring the tangible word back? I'm going to preach a whole sermon and make up all the text. And the only people that are going to know are the people with the real Bible <laughs> in their hand. All right. <clears throat> 16 through 21. It says, while Paul, I don't know if it's on the screen. No, I, didn't, I don't think I even sent this. Just receive it. If you have one in your hand, then you're blessed. All right, here we go. Acts 17, 16 through 21. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. We understand that. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God, as well as those in the marketplace every day, those who, those who happen to be there. Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also debated with him, and some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities, because he is telling the good news about the resurrection, about Jesus and the resurrection. He took them and brought them to the Aragopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching that you are presenting Because what you say sounds strange to us. I love that line. And we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Here's what I want to talk about uh, tonight. I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about your personal ministry. uh, Your personal ministry. Uh, I want to base it out of Acts chapter 17. I want to use Paul as an example to talk about kind of our own personal ministry and what that looks like. Uh, Most likely you probably fall in kind of three categories uh, here this evening. 
Uh, the first category, as we talk about a personal ministry and, and what that means, what does it mean to embrace kind of your unique calling, your gifting, right? This is what God does when you say yes to Jesus. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you gifts of the Spirit. gives you a, a calling, an ability to serve Him, right? This is what the Scripture tells us. So for some of you this evening, maybe you fall in this category. As I talk about embracing your own personal ministry, for some of you it's just a, it's just a, a releasing of that. For some of you, you've been, been holding it in, right? You've been keeping it to yourself. And for some of you, uh, tonight, through the scriptures, through our time together, it's just going to be a releasing of that. You're going, oh, I'm seeing it. I see. I see what it is. For so others of you, it, it may just be kind of a, like a refining for you. Maybe you've been living out your personal ministry, you've been living out your calling, your gift set, and so maybe tonight it's just kind of a, he's dialing it in some. He's just kind of narrowing it in a bit and kind of giving you a little bit of focus, and then maybe you fall in this third category. Maybe you're just full on um, embracing your own personal calling, and, and my hope and my vision for tonight is just to encourage you. It's just to kind of push you forward more. It's just to kind of strengthen you in this space and in this time. And so let's, let's kind of dive into it a, a bit in, in thinking through that. Uh, the reason that personal ministry, and we'll kind of flesh that out as we go, uh, the reason that this is such an important kind of concept for us to grasp, an important thing to understand, is because Christianity, so when, when Christ comes upon you, right, when the Spirit falls upon you, it doesn't just simply transform you from the inside, it radically changes the way that you see the world all around you. Radically changes. It, it's not just an inter-thing that happens, it's an outward perspective in the way that you begin to see the world around you and the relationships around you, the way that you operate in your job and your vocation and your relationships, it changes you. It changes you. It's why it's such an important thing. Uh, I, I put in my notes um, why it's important to embrace your own personal ministry. Just three quick thoughts here and then we'll kind of dive into Acts 17. Uh, the, first, the first reason you should embrace your own personal ministry is because our city desperately needs it. Uh, it does not take much to stand out in the city of Boston as a follower of Jesus, right? Just, if you just communicate, I, I cannot do that tonight. I'm going to church. It is a, a shocking statement, right, to someone. I, I can't, sorry, I can't do that. I have, I have a group tonight, right? I can't, um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of reorganizing my kind of finances. I'm trying to grow in generosity. I'm trying to support the things of God in my life. Like you start making those statements in our city and it's like, dude, you are strange. You're strange. And, and so the, the, the first reason why you need to embrace your own kind of personal ministry and calling is because our city needs it. The second reason that I'm going to say that you need to embrace your own personal ministry and calling is because when you don't, I want you to hear this. When you don't embrace your personal calling, you rob God of his glory. God has given you gifts. He's given you passions, and you, he's given you talents. And when you say to him, God, you've given me these things as a steward of your giftings, and I refuse to use those things. Think, who gets the glory when a community like this is built, right? When people begin to embrace self-sacrificial love and generosity and compassion, when, when you have a diverse kind of group of people that begin to gather from, from all over kind of the world, all different kind of ethnicities and all kinds of different backgrounds, who gets the glory when, when that begins to happen? God does. 
God gets the glory. And so when we don't embrace our personal calling, when we don't practice our gifts, we, we, rob, we rob God of the glory that um, is ultimately his. And then the third reason is, uh, this is very simple, but when you refuse to embrace your personal ministry, you miss out on intimacy with the Father. How many of you have been used by God before? Like you've been used by God, and in that moment, what, how, your intimacy with the Father does what? Dude, it ramps up. It ramps up. You're like, <laughs> you're like, that <sighs> just grows, and it grows, and it grows. So, so I want us to, I want you to just, as we're kind of walking through this in Acts 17, I want you to just begin to think about, okay, what is my personal ministry? What does that look like? I want you to be framing that kind of in your mind as we're kind of walking uh, through this in Acts chapter 17. Three kind of guiding questions for us this evening as we're looking at it and thinking about how Paul is operating. These are the three questions. Where does Paul go? What does he do when he gets there? And what is the crowd's response? So where does he go? What does he do when he gets to this particular place? And then what is the response of the crowd when he lands in this place? So the Apostle Paul, he's traveling through the known world at this point. He's planting churches. He's doing ministry. He has a group of leaders of, of men and women that are doing this alongside of him. And he's kind of doing this. He gets pushed out of Berea. And now he finds himself in Athens, Acts 17, 16, and 17. It says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God as well in the marketplace. Every day, those who happen to be there. Now, the question is, where does Paul go when he gets into Athens? He goes to where? Well, it says he goes to two places. He goes to the temple. This would be the traditional Jewish temple that he goes in. He begins to kind of argue the scriptures with them. He begins to, you know, point out the fact that the, the prophets that have been uh, prophesying a coming Messiah, what is he? He's like, that Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. He's pointing to the scriptures in the Old Testament. He's using the life of Jesus as a, as a, a way to point the people the Jewish believers and those who happen to be there, perhaps Gentiles as well. And then the second place that he goes to is where? Where does it say that he goes? It says that he goes to the marketplace. Now, why did he go to the marketplace? Well, the reason that he went to the marketplace is because the marketplace is where everyone was. Like, this is where everyone was. So if you were in a marketplace at this point, um, Obviously, there's, they have no technology, right? So this would be the kind of the gathering place that they would find themselves. So you would have town officials. You would have judges would be deliberating. You would have artists. They would be creating in the marketplace. Uh, you would have kind of a, a stock market kind of situation in the marketplace. You would have businessmen and women who are kind of making their deals in the marketplace. You, you didn't have media, right? So there's no newspapers. There's no TikTok. I don't, TikTok's not media. But anyways, you know what I'm saying. Um, you, that's almost kind of media. So um, you, you didn't have those things. So if you're going to get information and news, you would do it face-to-face -face with people. So you would go to the marketplace. You had philosophers who would be debating in the marketplace. I would imagine this would be an exciting place to be. We, what we know is there's probably only three of these marketplaces in the Greco-Roman world. There would have been one in Rome, one in Athens, and one in Alexandria. And so Paul goes to the temple here in Athens and then he goes to the marketplace. And, and he says, get me in the marketplace. Get me into the public place. 
Like, I want to be where the, I want to be where the people are, right? He's like, get me. That just happened in a moment. I don't know where that came from. Little Mermaid. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? What is this called? All right, so um, that's, a mo- that's like a moment that just happens. You can receive it. Um, he says, I want to be in the marketplace. I, 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 wanna, I, I, want, to, I want to be there. And I, I think the thing that's interesting about that, right? So when most people think about faith and religion, they think about it in what terms, right? They would say that our faith and our religion is about an inner peace. That it's a private thing. That it is a personal thing, right? So, so that's what they would say. They would say, man, your, your faith is this private thing that brings you interpeace. And I respect that. So when I'm talking to people, I'm talking to people who aren't following in the way of Jesus, that's it. They're like, man, I totally respect. That's your thing. That brings you kind of inner peace. And, and that's great. That's, that's personal. And, and, and what I just want to bring to you tonight, right, is yes, we have a personal ministry, but it's not personal. We, we have a, a personal calling on our life and a personal kind of anointing on our life, but it is not personal. The goal of secularism is to privatize your faith. This is the goal of secularism. I, I just, I, there's lots of definitions about secularism. I'm, I'm talking about a, a world system, right? So what does the world system want to do? It wants to say to you, that's really great for you. I love what God is doing in your life, but I need you to keep that kind of in your inner world. This is what secularism wants. This is the goal. Keep it in your inner being, your inner self. And that's great. It's great for you. Don't bring it out here. Paul goes, take me to the marketplace. I got, a, I got a personal ministry and a personal calling, but it's not personal. It, it is something for the people. Faith is not something that we simply lean into in our private time. If we allow the, our faith and the way of Jesus, it, it can't become our own thing. This is a, a warning to us. We talk a lot in our church about um, prayer. It's been a part of our community for a really long time, and so we have a prayer room. I know that you guys are doing similar things here. And there can be a sense in which if you're a church that prioritizes prayer, there can be kind of this sense or thought, oh, you guys are just kind of like inward people, and, and you just want to delight in God, and you want to make sure that God kind of delights in you. And so you guys gather together, and you, you kind of just pray together. You just want to fill the devotion of the Lord. You want him to fill your devotion. And, and so I just have to say to people, yes, we're a praying church, but it's, act, it's actually our, our desire to see our lost neighbors and friends and spouses and children. It's actually the fact that they don't know Christ that drives us to prayer. It, it's, it's, we don't organize around prayer and, and say that we want to be a praying church just to delight in God, although that happens. We do it because we feel an angst for our neighbors. We feel a desperation our neighbors. It, it, it became quickly apparent uh, in moving to Boston. We, we moved here in January of 2018, and um, everything in the last six years has went exactly as planned. <laughs> and um, all of my seminary classes and leadership development said, when you have a global pandemic, do this. <clears throat> 
it became quickly apparent. I was like, I don't know what's happening. Are we going to make it? All right, so um, it became quickly apparent that, man, we, unless a move of God happens here, we have no power, no ability to market something here and manipulate something here and create something here. We have no ability to do that. I, I love our church. I love our team. I think they're really fantastic. I think Yasmin leads our prayer ministry. She's here on the front row. She'll hate to say this. Uh, Yasmin moved here as a freshman in college with a, a call of God in her life. It's coming on staff when she graduates from BU uh, in the spring and has, has transformed our prayer ministry. Transformed it, right? And, and, and we've seen God along the way do these types of things. But it's actually, it's actually our desperation that moves us to prayer. And so Paul says, no, our, our faith isn't private. It's not a private personal faith. It's a place for the marketplace. Proverbs 1, 20 and 21 uh, says this. This is what the writer of Proverbs 1 says. Wisdom calls out in the street. She makes her voice heard in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion, and she speaks at the entrance of the city gates. All right, so where does he go? He goes to the marketplace. And he gets to Athens. What does he do? Second thing, what does he do? Uh, two negatives and a couple of, of positives here. So let's look at what he doesn't do, what he could do, but he doesn't do. And then let's look at what he does do. Acts 17, 16. Again, it says, while Paul was, what's the word say? While Paul was what in Athens? He was waiting. While Paul was waiting in Athens. Now, it's fascinating. Here are the, the two kind of negative things, right? Paul does not allow himself, in embracing his personal ministry, Paul does not allow himself to be dismayed or discouraged. We're going to talk about this. He doesn't allow himself to be dismayed or discouraged. And so maybe you ask, why in the world would he be dismayed? The reason that he would be dismayed is because Athens was not a part of his plan. If you go into the book of Acts, right, this is, Acts 17 is a lesson on being present where God brings you. It wasn't, it wasn't a part of his plan. This is a lesson on being faithful in whatever season God brings you into. Some of you, I want to say this. Some of you feel dissatisfied with the place that you find yourself in life. And you, you've allowed this dissatisfaction to paralyze you. You've, you've allowed a spirit of bitterness to grow in your heart. You've allowed a spirit of anger to grow in your heart. And, and your prayers are filled with, God, I thought it would look like this. God, I thought my career would be this. I thought my relationship status would be this. I thought my bank account would be this, said all the people in the room. I thought, like, I, this was what, God, I thought this, is, this was the, the future that I had in front of me. And you've been, you've been paralyzed by bitterness and anger. And it has created a, a barrier to what God would like to do, the, the personal calling on your life. You've been so, I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can, you've been so inward focused. You've been so just, just focused on, on your kind of thoughts and vision for your life that it's, it's, it's stopped you. You've been dismayed. And, and maybe you're like, I don't know what, what's happening with Paul. What, what's going on here? Um, Paul, so it's, it's, really, it's really fascinating. How do, how do we learn from Paul? What, did he, what, did, what exactly did he do? So Paul, right before Athens, was in Berea. So we see in Acts 17, uh, 11 through 12, he's in Berea. 
and he's experiencing successful ministry. Listen to what it says. The scripture says, In Berea they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Verse 12. Consequently, what happened? It says, consequently, what happened? Many of them believed, including a number of predominant Greek women as well as men. Okay, so Paul, let's picture this for a moment. Paul's in Berea. He's got his leadership with him, these men and women that are going along with him. They're, they're sharing the gospel. They're seeing conversion begin to happen. You can imagine their kind of conversations, right? They're, they're thinking, okay, the Lord's doing it. There's kind of an anointing on the place. Like we're, we're beginning to reap the, the fruit of the ministry that we've been experiencing. They were in Thessalonica before this. It wasn't going so well in Thessalonica. They actually got pushed out of Thessalonica by uh, um uh, jealous kind of Jewish leaders that were in that city. So they're in, so they're in Berea and they're, they're doing the thing. Paul's living out his personal calling, his personal ministry. And do you know what happens in Acts 17 in Berea? The um, jealous Jewish leaders in Thessalonica follow Paul into Berea and they push Paul out of Berea. They, they actually start a riot in the city and those closest to Paul say, we got to get you out of here. We got to get you out of here. So Paul finds himself on the other end of successful ministry, sitting and waiting in Athens. And he was so enraptured with Jesus. He was so captured by the way of Jesus that even in the midst of experiencing a as I would imagine, an unbelievable amount of personal and, and ministry disappointment, Paul begins to look around Athens. He begins to survey his, his place in Athens. Now, the, the first thing that we see that I said that he didn't do is he didn't get dismayed, but he also did not get distracted. Acts 17, 22 and 23, it says this. It says, Paul stood up in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you're extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the object of your worship, I even found an altar in which is inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. So Paul's plans have changed. Now finds himself in Athens on the other end of potential disappointment. And the, the text tells us, Luke tells us, who wrote the book of Acts, he says that Paul is passing through and observing objects of worship. I think one of the things that I, I think one of the unique things that God is calling us back to is what I would call a type of attentive evangelism. Uh, we've become a people, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but we've become such a distracted people. Like Paul's in Athens and he's doing what? He's observing what's around. His head's up, eyes up. He's looking. He's looking for ministry opportunities. He, he's kind of looking for those moments, right? And we become a people that are so distracted by materialism, by sports, by our jobs, by our, by our phone, right? Like, like we, we, God could be, the Holy Spirit could come down. There could be uh, Pentecost could happen again. And we would have our noise-canceling headphones in, <laughs> scrolling, and there could be a breakout of the Spirit, and we would miss it. 
And so, so I think God's calling us back to an attentive type of evangelism. I'm an eight on the Enneagram, so sometimes when I'm on, I ride the green line. And so sometimes when I'm on the green line, uh, you know, I kind of put my, my phone down. Once you start talking about these things and preaching these things, you're highly aware that someone could see you, right? So you got to put the phone up and do the thing or whatever. Sometimes I just make, um, it's, it's convicting, you know what I mean? Um, I, you know, I'm like, I just want just a little bit, you know, just like give me a hit of, you know, pop culture. Okay, so sometimes I'm on the train, I just stare at people. I just want to make eye contact, you know, just to, just to say, like, I see you. All right. Not in a weird way. All right. <laughs> Attentive evangelism. I think God is calling us back to that. And some of you, honestly, are just too distracted. You refuse to set healthy boundaries. You refuse to adopt healthy rhythms that would ensure attentiveness. You're obsessed with pop culture, the latest tech, politics, sports, and finance. And Paul just says, man, I'm, I'm, I'm too consumed with the story of Jesus. So I'm looking around. I'm observing. It's not that he just wanted to, to see Jesus be made much of. But I think Paul has a healthy theology of space and time. He actually mentions this in his speech, Acts 17, 26 and 27. A kind of a healthy theology of space and of Time. He, Paul's trying to align himself with the sovereignty of God in this moment. It says in verse 26 of Acts 17, for, From one man he has made every nationality to live on the whole earth, and he's done what? He has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Verse 27, He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Paul says in his speech to the Athenians, he says what? God has allotted the times in which we live and the boundaries and the places in which we live. Whatever season that you find yourself in this moment is not an accident. Uh, You thought school brought you to Boston. You thought a relationship brought you to Boston. You thought a career brought you to Boston. You, you, just whatever. Maybe you've, you've been in Boston for a long time. Maybe you grew up here and, and you've been trying to like get out or, or do it. You know, he's like, Lord, take me to the suburbs, you know, somewhere. And for whatever reason, you're kind of hitting a wall or you're, you're in this space. And I, and I just want to say to you, you're, you're not primarily in the city of Boston for those reasons. God has appointed the, the boundary lines in which you live. He's appointed the times in which you live. And, and so when you fall into and say, God, I want to embrace my personal ministry, what you're doing is you're falling now into the, the sovereign plan of God. You're aligning yourself with the sovereignty of God. You're saying, God, I'm not fighting, I'm not fighting you. And so Paul goes, get me in Athens. I'm here. God's brought me here. So he didn't allow himself to be dismayed by ministry or leadership failures, by vocation failures, right? He didn't allow himself to be distracted so that he's looking around. So what, what did he do? If those are things that he did not allow, uh, what did he do? A couple of things here. Uh, Acts 17, verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. The first thing that Paul did is he was broken over the lostness of the city. What was, so, so Paul's attitude regarding the, the city that he finds himself in, was he indifferent? What, did, did Paul look around in Athens and go, 
You be you. You live your truth. I'll live my truth. You live your truth, right? You, you do you. I'll do me, right? Did, did Paul go, boys will be boys and girls will be girls and just kind of like, you know, you do your thing. Is that, was that Paul's response? Paul looked around, Luke tells us, Paul looked around and experienced a type of brokenness over the city. He goes, you don't know that there's a God in heaven who loves you. You're chasing after idol worship. These empty things. He's experiencing a, a brokenness over the city. So, some of you need to have a, a um, Isaiah 6 moment. Isaiah 6, verse 5. Uh, Isaiah has an encounter with God, and when you have an encounter with God, <laughs> you do not stay the same. Isaiah 6, 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Some of you need to embrace an Isaiah 6 moment over the city of Boston. And you, you need to look up, you need to experience the, the brokenness of your coworkers and your friends, those in your dorm, those in your apartment. And you need to cry out to God on their behalf. You need to pray and fast on their behalf. He's distressed. Maybe all you need this evening is to say to God, would you open my eyes to the lostness around me, God? Second thing that he does, so he mourns over the, the lostness of the city. Second thing, he affirms what he can. Verse 17, 22, it says, Paul stood in the middle of the Aragopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. He says, well, I was passing through your city. I was observing your objects of worship. And he says, I even found an altar which was inscribed to the unknown God. He says, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I, this I will now proclaim to you. So, so, so Paul doesn't kind of blaze into Athens and, and go, you pagans, I cannot believe you. I, 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 do you not know? Like, do you not understand? No, no, he walks in and goes, okay. I, you guys are trying. I, I see that. I, I see that there's a type of spirituality here. There's a, a type of reasoning that's happening in the city. I, Paul's like, I, I appreciate that. I respect that. We've got to become a people who can learn to kind of affirm the cities in which we live in and the cultural moments in which we live in. I love Boston, so Boston's known for, um, you know, if you didn't know, Boston's known for education, right? I love, that we, I love that we live and operate in a city that is seeking truth. And, and we have the ability to look and go, man, you're looking, you're looking for truth. I, res I respect that search. And I got, not only do I respect that, I've got great news for you. Great news for you. I, I, I respect the desire to exhibit justice in the city. I, I respect the desire to um, care for the marginalized. I, I, I respect that. I, I love that about our city. And that gives us what? It gives us an opportunity to go, man, I love that you, you care about the marginalized. I, I love that you want to give those who don't have a voice a voice. Do you, do you know where that comes from? Do you know where that originated? Do, are you aware that that, do you, do you that, that craving and desire for, for to reach those who are marginalized, do you know where that comes from? 
Do, do you actually know that that's not a kind of Greco-Roman thought? That wasn't something that, you know, Caesar wasn't like care for the marginalized. That, listen, the culture can't have justice. The culture does not get to have justice. It belongs to the church. It belongs to the church, right? <clears throat> so he, he, he affirms, he looks out, he doesn't, doesn't condemn the culture. He, he's looking around. He even quotes their own poets, Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He's like, listen, I know the Stoic and the Epicurean philosophies of the day. I understand these things. He's, he's quoting them, right? He's demonstrating a, a type of intellectual credibility with his audience. This is what he's doing. He's like, I'm, I'm getting it. When I, when I talk about not being distracted, I, I don't mean not at least kind of having your finger on the pulse of the culture, right? Like, I, I have certain things that I do. I have kind of newsletters that I get that kind of help give me a, a summary of what's happening in the moment so I'm not going down some crazy YouTube hole, right, in this moment. Like, I have kind of things, you know, I, I read the New York Times. It typically starts there and kind of gets to everyone else. And so I'm, I'm, I've got these things, you know. I have a 12-year-old, so, you know, I'm learning about cultural things, you know. I, I understand what, uh, you know, Riz is. I understand what sus is, you know. She's, like, using these kind of statements, and I'm like, wash your mouth out. And she's like, no, 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 that means this. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> so so I, don't, I don't mean to not be, a, a, like, at least understand what's going on in the cultural moment. Um, that, that's not what I, that's not what I mean when I, say don't be distracted I'm not saying to cut all of those things out because there's a way in which we have to use those things to get to the gospel we use those to get to the gospel like an undercover kind of agent right Trojan horse we roll that sucker up to the the like door and we just say you want to talk about justice let's do it and they open the doors and it's game on all right third third thing he confronts and corrects their idolatry he affirms what he can, but he doesn't affirm everything. We live in a moment where so many churches, out of a desire to show love, a perceived desire to show love and kindness, affirm everything. And the gospel of Jesus Christ does not allow us to do that. Athens was one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. It was the center of intellectual and cultural achievement. You would have philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle that would be living there. They were famous kind of playwrights would be in this moment. And so if you were walking through the marketplace, you would see a, a plurality of idols that would tell us about their religious devotion. You would find temples of worship for Roman Caesars, Greek and Roman gods. You would find countless other shrines and idols. One novelist at the time wrote of Athens, a city of roughly 25,000 people, it is easier to meet a god in the street than a human full of idols Acts 17 24 through 25 Paul says this the God who made the world and everything in it he's the Lord of heaven and earth he does not live in shrines made by hands neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything from you since he himself I added that part since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things verse 29 since then we are God's offspring we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver 
or stone, an image fashioned by human art or the imagination. Verse 30. Well, let me stop there for a moment. Paul looks around and goes, this gold and wood, the silver, these things you've made out of idols, these are dead. These will not do what you think they will do. They, they will not come off these, these podiums that you put them on. You can pray to them. You can sacrifice to them. You can give them all that you want. They are not alive. They will not. They will not do it. Verse 30, Acts 17, he says, Therefore, since these things that we're observing aren't life, they don't have breath, they can't know you, care for you, he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man that he has appointed. And he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You would have thought Paul would have learned his lesson about sharing Jesus in the public square. But it seems as if he has a message that he wants to get out. So he says that the time has come. Jesus is resurrected. He is the evidence that God can be trusted. This is the evidence that God is faithful. The, the resurrection is the evidence that you can trust God. And so he says the time has come, and so I need to talk to you for a moment. This is what Paul says, I need to talk to you. And I think many times, I think we have a greater concern for our public image than we do for the fact that people are going to spend eternity not in the loving presence of a God in heaven who cares for them. And I think we care more about maintaining a certain look than we do about caring for people's flourishing in Jesus. I think that we care more about maintaining a certain image, a certain look, a certain perspective more than we care about seeing people flourish in Jesus. And Paul says, Paul says, I have a message for you. If, if Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me, if that's what Jesus says, what is the opposite? What's the opposite? If he's the way, if he's the truth, he's the life, and he's the way. The opposite of that is death, not truth, in the wrong way. And if he says, you get to the Father through me, that in the negative is what? If people do not receive Jesus, they will not know a loving Father in heaven. And it is our responsibility to open our mouth and speak. To confront the, the, the idol worship of our day. It, it's our responsibility to say to our friends, gosh, I know that you think that relationship, like I know that if, if, if you feel like if you get that guy or that girl, you are going, they're going to complete you. You're going to have a, a Jerry Maguire moment. They're going to complete you. I know that you feel that way. It's not true. It's not true. It's idol worship. 
I, I know that you believe that this, this, you have this gifting, and, and so you're, you're carrying that gifting into your career and your vocation, and, and you have this perspective and, and view in front of you, and, and I, I understand that you're thinking just a little more, just a little more. I just need to give a little more, over, a little more myself over to this thing. Yeah, I'm going to come back to my, my Christian faith. I'm going to come back to a way with Jesus. But I've got to kind of navigate this space right now in this way because I don't, honestly, I don't really trust God with it. I don't really trust him with it. It's idol worship. It's idol worship. That money is idol worship. And so Paul says, man, these things will not fulfill you. These things will not bring life. You're pointing your devotion in the wrong direction. In the wrong direction. An idol is anything you place before God. It influences the way that you live. And, and some of you, some of you need to remove idol worship. You need to tear it down from the high place. It's ruling you. It's running your life. It is keeping you from embracing your personal ministry. Paul says, man, these things will not satisfy. Okay, thirdly. So where does he go? What does he do? And how they respond? This is my last point. Verse 18, Acts 17, 18 and 21. It says, some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also debated with him. And some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? So he's creating a bit of a ruckus here. So others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Aragopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching that you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us. Can we, can we bring strangeness back? Right? You guys are charismatic. Super strange in here. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we got this. We got this. All right. We want to know what these things mean. Verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent time on nothing else but telling, hearing something new. Then Acts 17, 32, it says, when, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule Paul, but others said, we'd like to hear more from you again on this. I have a, a rendering here by a guy named Raphael. You can go ahead and throw that up. The, the Pope at the time um, commissioned, do we have that? Is that picture coming up? There it is. So the Pope at the time uh, this was in the 1500s. The Pope at the time commissioned an artist named Raphael to uh, create several kind of uh, cartoons based on the book of Acts. And so this is Paul in the Aragopagus. And I just want to make a couple of observations in regards to the response of the people in this moment by using this photo. Three responses from the people. Uh, some of the responses to the message were critical and dismissive of the message. So you can kind of see that in the picture there, these individuals that are speaking to one another, kind of pointing uh, towards Paul and, and kind of conspiring uh, against him. And so they're just like, no, this message is, this is craziness. This is, no, we're not, we're not receiving this, right? And, and, and I just want to say, as we're embracing our, our kind of personal ministry, can we just make rejection normative? Like, can we just recognize rejection as normative? I think, I think all Christians should be a door-to-door -door salesman, just one point in their life. You know what I mean? I have a good friend who's a, he's in a season, he was a door-to-door -door salesman. And, um, which, listen, if you're good, you can make some mad money. You know what I mean? Um, rejection is just like, right, it's just a part of it. 
And can we just make that normative? Paul was giving uh, some of the most balanced, cultural, kind of culturally nuanced arguments. He was uh, aware of the kind of Stoic, the Epicurean kind of philosophies of the day. He's quoting their own kind of uh, poets and people of the day. I mean, this is a guy who wrote uh, a large portion of the, the New Testament. And, and what happens to him? They reject him. People are dismissive of the message. We, we just need to recognize, right, that, that like this is what, like, that happens. We speak. We do our best, right? We keep it simple. We, we try and keep, you know, the weirdness to a minimum. It's what we do. If, you, um, if you've ever, like, uh, if you've ever had, like, a startup or you've had to raise money, you know, church planting, you have to do that. But some of you, if you've ever had to, like, experience that, like, f- you know, funding rounds or whatever, you, you know what happens when you're, when you're doing that kind of fundraising thing? You're kind of going around, you're asking people for, you know, money, and it's really fun. <coughs> you get 10 no's, you know, you get 10 no's, they're like, no, I can't do it, you know, whatever, and you're like, well, I'm observing your building here, it feels like you can do it. So anyways, um, <laughs> that's another sermon. All right, so... Uh, you just spent $10,000 on pizza. I think you can do it. All right, so um, I'm getting distracted. <clears throat> 10 no's, you know, if you're in that world, 10 no's, what is t- you know what 10 no's means? That yes is right around the corner, right? They're like that yes is about to fall. We can feel it. So yes, rejection happens. But we push forward. We keep moving forward. This is what we see happen. The second thing that we see happen is that some of the people, when Paul's explaining this, some just, they just need more information. They just need more time, right? You, you can kind of see this. These individuals, they're sitting there. They're listening, attentive to his message. They're just kind of, okay, we need some more time. We need to process this. It, it could be you're kind of part in the, the movement of this thing, right, of this, this, like, your own kind of personal ministry for this person in this moment. It could just be just kind of moving them a bit closer, Right? It could be just kind of moving them from, I don't really believe in God. It, like, that could be the starting point, right? Your responsibility and job, it could just be to go, maybe there's a God. Like, I see that in your life. I'm, I'm curious about that. That's fascinating. You don't have to go from atheist agnostic to full-out mature believer in Christ. Maybe it's just like a, just a move there. Some people are just, I need more time. I'm interested in this. But just, just would you help me? All right, third thought here. I'm going to go ahead and call the band up. I don't even know if that's allowed. But um, I have the microphone. Do you guys know um, Ariel's ballot? Uh, I want to be where the people are. You know what I mean? I'll lead if you can get a rhythm. Uh, so some, some rejected, some said no, uh, some said we need more time. Man, there's this third group, though. Some were immediately drawn in. Some were immediately drawn in. If, if you notice in that cartoon, you have this couple that's here in the corner, and so Raphael's just trying to get a, a grasp of um, what's happening in Acts chapter 17. Man, they're, they're moved by what Paul has said. They're moved by it. It's been a, a life-changing message for them. And, and, and they, 
will forever be different. They just can't get, they can't get past it. And, and so I just want to give you a bit of a bigger vision tonight. Like m- maybe you came and, and, you know, your vision for your life was to get this degree or to get this far in your vocation and, and job. And, and, and maybe that, like, that's a great kind of thing. But that's, I just want to say it's too small of a vision. And, and it could be that you could say, man, my time in Boston, the time that I spent in Boston, maybe it was short, you know, maybe it was long. We, God bless you, people that stay, you know. It's not, it's not a call to go. It's a call to stay here. Can I get it? Amen on that? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I need you to stay. You know what I mean? I meet people. I'm like, how long's your program? They're like, five years. Love it. You want to have dinner? You know what I mean? You meet somebody, you're like, can we, I want to, can we be friends? How long are you going to be here for? Oh, a year? Okay, cool. I'll, I'll see you later. All right. Well, I don't do that. I've heard other people do that. All right, so. <clears throat> it, it could be that you thought that job brought you here, the school brought you here. And can, can I just give you a, a bigger vision than that? Maybe, maybe it's like you're studying in school, and, and, and maybe you have, like, your, your guy that's there with you, and you've been going to school together. Or maybe he lives in the dorm with you, and, and so you're, you're just kind of sharing the gospel with him, or, or it's a girl that's in the, the dorm with you, and you're sharing the gospel, you know, you're, you're sharing the gospel with her, and, and, and you're like, Joe, man, Joe, I got to share, I got to, you know, and you're all nervous, and it's awkward, and you're sweating, you know what I mean? Like, you just get all the moments, and you're like, man, Joe, I just want to, uh, can I? Now, I know you got some stuff going on. Can I pray with you? Can I just, can I pray with you? Man, maybe you should come to, come to church, and, and so maybe you're just doing that just a little bit, and Joe, Joe just gets a seed of the gospel. And Joe gets like a taste of the gospel, and it begins to kind of draw him in, right? And so you thought you came to Boston for school, but now you've shared the gospel with Joe, and now Joe's gotten a vision for his life. He's given his life over to uh, Jesus now, and now, now he's, inflamed with the spirit mary's got a a vision for her life she's inflamed with the spirit they grow up married they they find someone that perhaps they get married maybe they they have kids and and you've just like instead of it just being school you've affected a whole legacy of a family you you've changed the direction of a family of, a, of kids and grandkids and grandkids who, who may never even know who you are. It's a bigger vision. Some will say yes. Seventeen twenty. we were in the prayer room and Yasmin was leading this. <clears throat> I was so struck by verse 20. This idea where they're, they're hearing Paul and they go, what you say sounds strange to us. And, and I just, I just want to say, let's, let's bring a little bit of the strangeness back. I think the, I think the world is, is tired of the false promises of the secular age. And our message is weird, it's strange. We, we believe We, if, if you have any intellectual integrity and you read the Bible, it sounds ridiculous. We believe God in heaven, second person of the Trinity, came down as a baby to a virgin 
who grew in wisdom and knowledge, then began to do miracles, and built a ministry among uneducated, unsophisticated men and culturally marginalized women. This is who's going to lead his ministry. We believe donkeys can talk and fire can fall from heaven. That's weird. That's strange. And our, 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 our desire to appeal to the cultural moment has caused the gospel to lose power. It's lost power. And so the question tonight, this evening is, right, when it comes to our personal ministry, the question is, what is our responsibility? Not the results. Jesus said what? So indiscriminately. The gospel seed. So let's enter in. I just want to enter into a moment of, of ministry in a second. So you can put your stuff down. You can put, if you just kind of notes or whatever, just kind of get in your space for this moment. And so maybe you're here and you've been practicing a type of privatized faith. You've not been owning your personal ministry. So maybe in this moment, you just need to say before God, you just need to say to him, God, I need to own that before you. I've been keeping this thing inside for fear, whatever it is. God, I've been more concerned with my personal image. Maybe you're here tonight, you just need to say that before the Father. You just need to repent of that. You need to own that before him. Maybe you're in this space and, and you've allowed the unexpected turns of your life to sow bitterness and anger in your life. And you're so paralyzed and so distracted that you're missing it. You're missing what God is seeking to do in your life. Maybe you're here and you've adopted a negative attitude about the city. Just like, I can't believe it. Green line again? What are you doing? Can we get an amen? Maybe you've adopted a negative attitude to the city. And God has said to you, I want you to begin to look up. I want you to affirm where you can to get to the gospel. Maybe you're here and you just need the strength from the spirit to confront the idols in your heart. The early church, um, they won a lot of people over by the distinct message in the life that they lived. And I think God is calling us back to that. But it won't happen until people lay aside the, the things that hinder them. This is what the scriptures say. The things that entangle us and strangle us. So if you're here tonight and you're like, I need to, I need to be released from some things. Can you just raise your hand? You're just like, man, I've, I've, this has been a private thing for me. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, do anything. I see you. Thank you. I see you. You're like, man, I just, this has been a private thing. Maybe you're here and you're like, I've been distracted. I've been dismayed. I've been angry with God. You just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. I see you, brothers and sisters. I'm going to pray in a moment. You're just like, man, I need an attitude change. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room. God, I pray the power of your spirit over them. God, we thank you for the story that we have to fall in line with Paul here. That we have a legacy of men and women sacrificing their life for the call of gospel. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Would you give them courage? God, would you bring this, this um, private thing out into the open? God, would you confront the idols in their hearts and their minds? God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is the Sunday Morning Podcast from The Table, Boston. 
where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.